Alrighty, back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. Hey, y'all, listen. So here, here's the theme of what's happening, right? If you've been listening to any of my content over the last year, I've been talking a lot about this new world order, right? Which comes from every hundred years ago, every, every hundred years or so, the way that things are done in society changes. And we're at the end of that period of time where just things are changing and 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 again, going back to debt cycles and all that, it correlates with that, right? Because the, there, there, there's at the end of the cycle an extreme gap between the haves and have-nots, and the haves rarely give the out of the goodness of their heart the have-nots what they should have, and so the, the have-nots take it. And so this this is playing out a lot. Like it's playing out in politics. It's playing out in and not even politics on like Democrat or Republican. Like it's both sides, right? You have you have have and have nots on both sides, and it's playing out differently. But specifically, the whole GameStop ordeal has has shown what a lot of us in the finance industry has has known to be true: is the the, the system is rigged to those who are closest to money and power. Those with money and power have lots of influence, way more influence than what they should, in what's going on with markets, and that's being placated right now in GameStop. Right, and so there's a if you want to know like the details of what happened with the short selling and all that, I would advise you to look at Chamath Palahaptia's Twitter page. He did a great thread on it yesterday, better than what I could do in explaining it. Just follow. It'll go through the details. But the basics of it was a lot of retail investors basically set up this hedge fund guy and, and had them lose a bunch of money, which is what they do to, with the hedge fund folks do each other all the time. But this time it was done by the, by the, little, by the little people and caused them to lose a lot of money. And the irony of the situation is uh, the hedge fund got bailed out by one of the establishment big hedge funds who, through affiliates and, 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 and business entities, also may have close ties with Robinhood. But again, this is allegedly, I don't want to get into libel suits and all this, but the, but the point is, it doesn't look good for Robinhood for, for basically doing something that would help the hedge fund that got squeezed in a short squeeze who was losing a bunch of money. It doesn't look good at all. We're finding out today that a lot of the brokerages are restricting trading. And so behind the scenes, just so you know why all of it may not be nefarious in and of itself is brokers have always had a situation where, let's backtrack, let's talk talk about how brokers make money. They make money on commissions, right? And if they don't do commissions, they're making money on loaning money to people who are speculating in markets. You know, when you short sell a security, you're borrowing a security you don't own and you pay interest on it while you're borrowing it. Or if you want to buy securities, if if you have a thousand bucks, um, you can potentially buy $2,000 bucks worth of securities or more through, through margin, which is loaning money. And so whenever you loan money, volatility or a lot of up and down movement is not a good thing because if, if a lot of customers can't pay back their loan, just like with a bank, if you got a bank that loaned out too much, and they can't, they and everybody defaults, and they can't cover the defaults in the equity in 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 the bank, the bank goes under, and a lot of folks lose. Well, that's what's happening right now in 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 in, in brokers too, right? Robinhood, who is notorious for driving the industry for you know free trading, like their business. I like to use the example of Washington Mutual, right? So Washington Mutual, which was one of the companies that went under in the housing crisis. They had very loose liberal underwriting standards for people that really shouldn't have been buying houses financially, right? They were a leader in providing irresponsible loans 
to people who you know couldn't afford a house. And so Robinhood, they built their business on irresponsibly, in my opinion, providing margin to investors that they shouldn't have been doing it right, uh, doing it, doing it too. At that, it was it was irresponsible. It, it is when you're doing margin and stuff. Like I'm all for people being able to do what the big boys and girls do if they have the same amount of finances, right, and 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 understanding. But but when you go to a level where you're letting people borrow money who just started trading yesterday, right, and they don't have the capital or the experience to trade that kind of leverage, right, they're going to blow up. It's like house flipping, right? If you if 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 you know, and if if in 05 you started house flipping two months ago and, and and you never done it before, you're probably going to get hurt, which a lot of folks did. And so that's the other part of it, right? It's part of it where they're clearly wrong for limiting the, just the just the regular buying and selling, in my opinion, of, of of stocks outside of just margin, right? Just regular buying and selling of equities on their platform to allegedly help this hedge fund, whether whether they did it or not, to help them is. Is I don't know if we'll ever know, but it, it looks very bad, right? And it shows the inherent bias in the system because it was very one-sided on the the broker that all the little folks deal with was the one that stopped the trading for it. And it allowed some of the other hedge funds to maybe unwind their, their positions for a period of time, which is not a good look. But the other side of it is Robin Hood's business from the get-go before this was just a terrible business. It's like Washington Mutual. You should not have in the first place been letting... Um, unsophisticated people borrow money to invest and uh, and do options, right? There, there should have been more of a vetting system. Maybe like, hey, if a sophisticated investor, there's things that we have to study and tests we got to take to be able to do that kind of stuff. And they could say, hey, let, let you know, if, if you're going to offer it, you have to, you know, provide me a history of you trading options. Give me those statements, right? Or some questions so that at least they know you know what you're doing. That's what you know, the more established, more responsible brokers do. But Robin Hood was like, oh, we're going to skip that and we're going to be irresponsible. And, and and they put themselves in a position where they don't have a choice. Like now they have to stick by their position because they have a whole lot of like bad risk in the accounts that they have that are doing, you know, not responsible bets with the money. So that that is that is the big picture assessment that's going out. There's there's new information coming out every hour, it feels like, about it. And so this might be dated information, but based on the information that I had when I got ready to do this podcast, like that is the situation. So there there's a there's a big difference between like gambling and investing. And I got into a good back and forth with somebody in my comments about gambling and investing and you know, in a sense, both of them are assessing probabilities, right? Gambling and investment are, there's an uncertain outcome and you are looking at probabilities based on your, or analyzing information and making a decision based on different outcomes. I think what I call gambling, though, is making those decisions without a, without a process that allows you to assess probabilities that put things in your favor, right? Versus investing is saying, okay, Based on principles and, and 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 probabilities, here's the here's the outcome that allows me to, a good risk reward. Like that's the difference. A lot of folks were just saying, "Oh, like for example, I was talking to my friend about it this morning because we we're you know we were driving in. And he said he said well he said well hypothetically, Philip, if I were to have bought GameStop on Monday." And then sold out yesterday. Would I have made money? I was like, yeah. But hypothetically, looking back at the NBA championship that just happened, you know, if I would have bet on LeBron winning in Game Six and close on bet in the Game Seven or mid Game Seven, could I? You know, it's, it's the same thing. I said, I said, because what you're looking at, because and he said, well, 
it's funny. I was on the chat group and I saw somebody post about the GameStop thing, you know, Monday morning, and I could have got in. I said, I said, yeah, but like, think about it. Slow, slow your brain down. How many messages do you see throughout the year, people saying to invest in crazy stuff that didn't work out net net? I said, because because I said because remember this, you know, we can go back to 2017 when everybody was saying invest in Bitcoin in December, and I was arguing with everybody about this is a bubble, bad time to invest, and they didn't do it. And and then fast forward back in back in April and May, you know, when the market did that, and everybody was saying invest in oil and gas stocks and, and airline stocks. And I said, and I, and I literally just finished doing this report where I said, where I said, okay, if you invested in American Airlines, Southwest Airlines during that period of time, like you, you lost, <laughs> you lost money when these folks were saying to do it, right? You definitely underperformed the S&P 500. You know, energy, again, energy stocks, I looked at an ETF, which is a basket of energy stocks, like you lost money versus if you just did what I said and stay diversified and or, you know, bet on the big boring companies like the Amazon and the 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 companies that were like crushing the new world, right? Because I, I gave the background on why that's a good idea. And I also mentioned Bitcoin, like those things killed it. So you could have stayed diversified or bet in direction I thought was good because those, it wasn't about me knowing the future. It was more, hey, I have a process. I look at probabilities. These are risky. These are high probability bets based on history over time, right? And I think that's the big, that's the big difference. If you had followed all the chat rooms who were talking about airline stocks and all the other BS that they were talking about, you would have not done so great. And so, yeah, maybe you would have caught this if you still have money to do that. But net, net, you probably would be underwater. And at the end of this bubble, right, because we're, you know, money went from stock market to it was folks in chat rooms like gambling on DraftKings like earlier this year before they came back to the stock market. Now they're back in the stock market. And this is just textbook bubble behavior. And so, this doesn't really end well for most retail investors, which is separate from should retail investors be able to make dumb decisions? Absolutely. I'm all for that. Make all the dumb decisions you want, right? Without blowing up the system, which is, you know, when they use too much leverage, that blows up their account and my account if the broker can't handle it. So I think you should be as dumb as you want with your money without it blowing up the system because that's that's honestly, if you if you couldn't do that, I wouldn't be able to make money on my end because I make money off stupidity right? Just to be honest, right? The way you make alpha is, you know, when everybody's greedy, you be fearful. When people are fearful, you be greedy. Like it's 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 plain textbook, boring, time-tested stuff that's not sexy because human beings are always attempt- attracted to sexy, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like the girl or guy who in high school was attracted to the bad boy or guy. And then they grow up and realize, man, I really should have been with the one that nobody was worrying about because they were the smart, intelligent character, you know, person of character, you know, but they realize that maybe too late, right? Or they do realize it later and 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 go to what's what they should have gone to because the bad boy or girl, you know, doesn't in general end up being a good a good spouse, right, over time. Same thing with investing, right? But one more thing on this on this note, I'm gonna go back to my you know, my core theme of the podcast episode, which is um, this narrative, right? The new world order that I think is being built is a move more towards decentralization because what we're realizing with, you know, with governments, with brokers, with the establishment is when you have centralization, you have the ability for corruption to happen really, you know, really easy. It's not transparent. It's corruption. And so people are wanting to do more decentralized things, right? Hence, the, my biggest thesis on Bitcoin and why I like it is it is decentralized money. 21, you know, it's limited amount that can ever be created without the consensus of the group, 
right? So you don't have 12 people behind the scenes that can decide how much uh, money is out there, right? It's it's where the world is going when the world realizes how corrupt the system is because it is corrupt, right? That is a foregone conclusion that people are realizing more every single day. And that, you know, that fits in my, you know, thesis for, you know, for Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrency in general, not, again, I don't, I don't, I only own Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency as an industry is building out a decentralized finance platform. And as there are more clear winners, I'm going to be a participant. But I want to take it down a notch and I want to go into just some lessons that I learned from a very good investment book, right? So a, a lot of the principles that I get, just like when you, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? This is truth. A lot of people who get their wisdom from things that were true in the relative past, that's not really wise to do. I like to say, if I'm going to build my decision-making in any aspect of life, whether it's been a father, a husband, investing, a business, I want to say, does this work now? And did it work a thousand years ago, right? Because if it worked a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago, as far back as I can go, then it's, it's time tested. It's t- tested through multiple cycles, multiple periods, and you know it works. And you can build a a investing process versus versus gambling over it. So I like to read history. I like to read old books. One of the best old investing books was one called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. And it starts with a guy who starts trading like almost 100 years ago, actually over 100 years ago, because I think it starts in like 1915, 1914. And it kind of goes through his career. He's one of the best you know, stock market, you know, operators back then in the day, he made a lot of money in 29 crash. And he was older at that period of time when he made the 29, 29 crash. But it, but a couple of key uh, takeaways that I learned from the book came from like these, these two quotes, right? The name of the book, if I haven't mentioned, it's called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, written by Edwin Lefavor, which they believe is a, is a, is a pen name for Jesse Livermore, who's the, the trader that we're referencing. But here's one of the quotes. I think it was a long step forward in my trading education when I realized that at last, when old Mr. Partridge kept on telling other customers, well, you know, this is a bull market, he really meant to tell them that the big money was not in the individual fluctuations, but in the main movements, that is, not in reading the tape, which is short term, you know, market watching, but in sizing up the entire market and its trend, right? And that mean, that's meaning the long term trend. Here's a second quote, and I'm going to break them down. Not even a world war can keep the stock market from being a bull market when conditions are bullish or a bear market when conditions are bearish. And and all a trader needs to know or investor needs to know is how to make money or, or needs to know to make money is to appraise the conditions, meaning size up the big picture, be patient, and you can make a lot of money. The, the short-term fluctuations are going to be driven by emotions, but the direction of global or the growth of the country that you're in or inflation up or down, those movements are over the over a longer term period of time are not going to be moved by a short group of traders or by hedge funds, right? That's 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 law of physics. They're they're gonna move in the direction of growth or inflation over time. So if you can size up and, and this is why you've heard so many me do so many podcast episodes on growth and inflation, right? I've done multiple ones on growth and inflation. Those have been two factors that you want to pay attention to if you're an investor because they move different asset prices in a different way. Uh, another you know, thing you want to pay, pay attention to in addition to growth and inflation at a micro level is, is the company making money, right? If, if, if you can buy a company that nobody's paying attention to that's consistently making money over time, prices eventually follow the money. In the short term, 
they may trade on, we talked about it in a previous podcast, on eyeballs or whatever these companies that are trading without making any money on. But eventually, you know, you get back to gravity and they go back to trading on money over the long term. And so that's what these quotes are talking about. Like, you know, size up the big picture. Is a company making money over the long term based on past history? What's growth and inflation doing um, from an asset allocation standpoint? And then forget the short-term noise, right? Be be patient to build a system. And go back to my, if you want more details, go back to my January 10th episode, which is Stonehill 2021 Investment Update. I cover the growth and inflation in detail. But no matter what people will have you believe, like it's hard to predict short-term movements, right? No matter how smart you are, right? And and it's hard to pr- to predict the beginning, you, like timing the end and beginning of a cycle is extremely hard. It's like insurance companies make a lot of money on writing life insurance policies, but they never predict the day you're going to die, right? But they make a whole lot of money by, you know, they profit off of making bets on death or not, which is, which, right, in this example, it's hard to predict when you're going to die, but they don't have to. It's like investing, right? What, what an insurance company do is they'll say, hey, if I have an 89-year-old healthy male I don't know when when he's going to die. It may be this year or he might live to 115. I don't really know, right? You might you may also have a 22-year-old female that even though she's young and healthy, she might get hit by a bus the next day, right? So, you know, you think about those odds and putting money to work, right? You hey, if I'm going to promise to pay some 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 beneficiary money, how do I assess the odds? Well, you know, you know when to be, when when to play, when not to play, and then you know when you do play, what you're going to charge for you playing. So for example, an 89-year-old, most life insurance companies just won't write that policy. They're like, the risk of them dying is so high, I just won't play that game. And that's an example of, like, I'm not playing GameStop. That's that's a terrible bet, right, from an investment standpoint. Or maybe I'll bet on a 70-year-old who is has health issues, but I'm going to charge the 70-year-old a lot of money to make up for my risk. Same thing, if I'm going to, if I'm going to make an investment uh, in something that's, that's, that's risky, I'm going to buy that mug real, real cheap, right? And I'm going to have done my research on what might have it go up to where if it goes up, I can make a lot of money on my money, and I'm only going to invest a little to make a lot, right? So my my risk-reward is going to be really high, and I'm going to only invest a little bit, right? And I'm going to do my research to buy it right to charge the appropriate premium you know, for that investment, right? And same thing. I'm more willing to bet on a, I'll bet on a bunch of 22-year-old young females from an insurance company standpoint, Right, because even if one gets hit by a bus, but I bet on fifty, right, I'll make money over time. And investing is like the same way. I think the hard part is to get to a level to where you understand your risk reward and all that at that level, you gotta do work. And just like dieting plans come in and out of fads, you know, most people don't really want to do the work. The 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 real reason why folks are gambling is that is the same reason people buy, buy lotto tickets, right? Lotto tickets for have you know, have forever made billions of dollars for, 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 for states and continue to because people want something for nothing, right? They they understand the probability of them winning, you know, is super small, but they're like, somebody just won. But yeah, like if you took that money and invested it boringly over your lifetime, you'd have had a lot more money <laughs> with, with more certainty than than hoping and praying you're a lotto because there's no strategy for winning a lottery. It's luck. There's no strategy for betting on GameStop and making money and hoping, right? It's luck, right? Maybe you got lucky and you won the lot of tickets, but keep playing that game. You know what I'm saying? You're going to lose your shit 
I'm, you know, I can't, I keep, I've been cussing a lot. I got to take this out of my podcast, but you know, but, but yeah, that's, that's the lesson to be learned y'all. So yeah, happy, happy investing. Let's, let's also keep the pressure on the establishment because I don't think it's right what they're doing. Um, I think people ought to be able to make dumb decisions with their money as long as they don't blow up the system. Let's keep the heat on them. Let's keep building a new system and y'all enjoy your day. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.